Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off in depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, I speak with Henning Hober on a new tool for rock physics from his paper published in September's The Leading Edge. In this episode, Henning explains the theory of omitted variable bias and its connections to rock physics, why OVB hasn't appeared before in the geoscience literature, how this theory helps geophysicists understand biases in models, the real-world implications for improving a bias model, and how he will apply OVB to his future research. Visit seg.org slash podcast to read Henning's article, as well as the rest of the links for September's The Leading Edge. This episode is brought to you by TGS. TGS offers a wide range of energy data and insights to meet the industry where it's at and where it's headed. TGS provides scientific data and intelligence to companies active in the energy sector. In addition to a global, extensive and diverse energy data library, TGS offers specialized services such as advanced processing and analytics, alongside cloud-based data applications and solutions. Now for our conversation. Hi, my name is Henning Hober. I'm a research principal with uh, CGG in the research department and I've spent a lot of time looking at seismic processing and imaging with particular emphasis on reservoir issues such as time-lapse and AVO. Well, that is what we're going to be talking about today. You released a paper in September's The Leading Edge titled Model Misspecification and Bias in the Least Squares Algorithm, Implications for a Linearized Isotropic AVO. Before we explore this method you outlined in your paper, Why is model misspecification so common in linearized AVO? I think there are are a couple of reasons for that. And the first one probably is that the uh, fundamental equations which describe what happens when a wave hits an interface and gets reflected and transmitted, the the not Zerpert's equations, they're they're very complex. So um, you you can stare at them as hard as you'd like. You'll probably get very little intuition out of them. So you simplify and that means you, you linearize and that allows us to then understand uh, theoretically, the effects that we're really interested in, such as disentangling, lithology, and, and, and fluid effects. But when you, you linearize, just as in a Taylor expansion, you have to decide when to stop. So do we just use um, one term, which would just be stacking, or, or two terms, or, or even three terms? And um, we often use just two terms, and it's not really laziness, it's to do with the information content in the, in the pre-stack gathers, which is surprisingly low. So it's often not possible to obtain more than two reliable terms with, uh, with the noisy data that we get. And in addition, there, there's actually quite a few different AVO linearizations, and that is because there are so many different elastic moduli that can describe the rock. So you can use a pair of elastic moduli in the density, and there's quite a lot of combinations of that, so you get just as many different AVO um, parameterizations. And when you then drop the, the, the higher order term, just as described, then you get different effects in terms of the linearization. Well, there's a theory that plays an important role in the paper that that many maybe not have heard of. So if you could explain to the audience, what is the theory of omitted variable bias, or or we'll be referring it to as OVB? 
Right, yes. Um, OVB really just takes a closer look at uh, least squares fitting, which is what we, we tend to do with our data. So it looks at what happens if we fit the data with a model, which is then missing some of the explanatory variables. So the easiest example is if we have a process which comes from some data which needs a well, we just fit a, a straight line, a linear to it. This is similar to what we do in AVO two-term fitting. Then OVB analyzes the bias this places on the fit terms that we extract with the two terms, leaving out the, the, the higher order term, the quadratic term. Why do you think OVB is not mentioned in the geophysical literature prior to this paper? That is a good question, and I really don't have an answer to that. Uh, I don't want to sound too pretentious, but others before me have said that it's always a good idea to look across disciplines, and uh, it's obvious that many, many good ideas and algorithms are found by exploring other fields. Um, you know, this is true of signal processing and imaging. It's perhaps more obvious these days when we have the whole field of AI and, and machine learning developing in front of our eyes. So I'm, I'm not sure why, why it hasn't been mentioned before. Well, well, maybe a peek for the audience, you know, how, you know, taking, I, I've definitely heard that a lot as well as look across disciplines. So how, how did you operationalize that to come across this in the economic literature? And, and what made you see this connection to it in rock physics? So to me, this um, this has always been an area of uh, of interest, um, least squares fitting, and uh, I, I was then recently asked by um, what we call the geo training in CGG to to modernise a bit our AVO training both internally and externally. And at that time, I then went and attended one of Pat Connolly's training courses on on AVO and fluid lithology analysis, and that sparked my interest because. I think I remember correctly that he said reliable AVO fits may only be achievable up to about 25 degrees of incidence angles. And that is significantly less than what most people use. So I think 35 degrees is, is quite a common maximum angle for AVO fits. Now, his reluctance to go beyond 25 doesn't just have to do with bias. I need to put in that, that caveat. It also has to do with signal-to-noise issues and other effects and stretch and attenuation and so on. But that, that, comment, um, just as I was writing the training course, sparked my interest to go back and find a, an analytic way to, to analyze this problem with regards to theoretical error, the bias error that we make when we, when we fit to only 25 degrees, or if we then go, go higher, how that changes the, the model parameters. And so I just started looking around the literature following um, the advice we just discussed. And clearly, regression and multi-parameter regression is, is used a lot in uh, uh, economy, sociology, biology, and, and, and all sorts of other fields. And so it was more a random walk through, through the literature that, that took me there. And then as regards your questions for the, for the rock physics, I, I was aware of some previous results, which are not too far off. So there's a, a couple of papers in particular by authors who at the time were with, with Hess. There's one in the leading edge and one in geophysics on, on AVO projections, which was a, a, a much read paper at the time in 2018. Um, and in their, their leading edge paper, which they called Rock Physics Relationships Between Inverted Elastic Reflectivities, they preempt some of what I describe in, in my paper. 
but they they didn't derive the results. So that also got me thinking, is this all the same thing? And it turns out it is. So the reason that rock physics relationships aren't always what you think they are is, is due to bias. So I definitely felt there was room to explain more why rock physics relations from least squares are not generally what they seem. And it so happens, I think, that OVB is quite ideal to see what's what's going on. More generally, perhaps, um, we do a lot of lower order fitting, not just in AVO, but also in, in rock physics. And so it seemed a good idea to, to sneak in what's probably a slightly more mathematical article into the leading edge. I didn't want to hide it in, in geophysics, although everybody advised me to, to put it into geophysics. And I think there's a final point, which is, you know, we already mentioned or I mentioned machine learning. And of course, the issue of bias versus variance is at the heart of many of the algorithms in, in that field. And, and there too, one might ask the question if the algorithms just, you should put the just in, in quotes, give us good data fits, or if they actually give us unbiased model parameters. So that's an, an area also of interest, which could be something to look at uh, following the, the OVB analysis. Well, this paper is a testament to continuing to learn yourself, and you're putting that into action there. How, how does the least squares algorithm work when it is functioning perfectly? It is, in fact, blue, and blue stands for Best Linear Unbiased Estimator. So there's a, a theorem due to the famous Gauss and Markov, the Gauss-Markov theorem, and it says that the ordinary least squares estimator, which is essentially what I what I use in the paper, has the lowest error, or what statisticians call the, the sample variance, of all linear unbiased estimators. But, and, and this is a really, really big but, this is only true if the errors in the regression are, in the regression model, are uncorrelated, have equal variance and, and zero mean. And of course, that, that, that never holds with real data. You, you have all sorts of um, issues on real data that break the assumptions. And then when, when that, because of that, why are we still using um, least squares? Well, what we do before we uh, apply least squares is we use various tricks, signal processing methods. So for example, iterative reweighted least squares takes the data and reweights the data. And the weighting essentially moves everything back so that the uh, assumptions of the ordinary least squares fitting are again true. And other methods, um, which are also popular, such as ridge, reg ridge regression, do something slightly different. And they will trade off a small amount of bias in the model parameters in order to decrease the variance, which is another trick you might play. So that's not really described in the paper, but it does mean that it's a good idea to think about what you do with your trickery, your signal processing algorithm, in terms of the bias, if you then want to use the model parameters in the rock physics analysis setting. What, what happens to this algorithm when the model is misspecified? Yes. Yeah, so I think we just touched upon that a little bit. The, the assumption of the uncorrelated errors is, is then violated. So if you, if you take the classic example of the of doing a straight line fit to something which has a quadratic variability, then the errors are no longer randomly distributed around your, your fit. So you can make a plot of the residuals. Uh, like I do in the in the um, Jupyter notebook, and you will see that they're they're all correlated. And the reason for this is uh, th this problem of the the bias can can be uh, understood intuitively as well. 
what we ask of the least squares algorithm is to minimize the sum of the least squares in order to best fit the, the noisy data. And for that, we, we give it a model. So it's really a data fitting method. Um, and it's not a parameter prediction method. You might say that the model parameters fall out of the optimization, so to say, as a, as a byproduct. And uh, I, I have a couple of examples as well where I show that if you misspecify the model, you can still get very good data fits. The, the algorithm tries very hard to minimize those least squares errors, and, and it succeeds in, in, in doing that. But the outcome is that those parameters that you then have that fit the model, um, despite it being the wrong model, those parameters are then biased. In, in what way does this theory of committed variable bias help the geophysicists understand the bias in the model better? Right. So I think the the, the first thing is that it's important to just know that this effect can happen, that it's likely if you oversimplify, um, even if you have good excuses for oversimplifying, such as the noise, that there is going to be bias in the, in the model parameters. And I think you can then understand OVB in, in two ways, one which is the sort of the forward and one which is the inverse way. So first, you can, you can use the theory to forward model higher order fits using the what-if idea. And that's really what I, what I show in the paper. If I just use two fits, then you can ask the question, what if I had a curvature term in the data? What would that do to my, to my model? How does that in, impact the intercept and the gradient? And the other way, which is really what the uh, AVO projection paper by, by Ball et al. in Geophysics 2018 already showed, um, and I only really started understanding this after finishing the paper, is that you can start with a three-term fit and then project down to a two-term fit. So that again shows how the emitted variable, the curvature, then leaks into the two-term uh, fits, in this case, the intercept and the gradients. So that part of the theory is relevant to, to how we do AVO fitting. And in fact, one of the questions I get asked the most by practitioners of AVO fitting is, um, how do the AVO fit parameters change when fitting three terms instead of two? And why do the intercept and gradient change at all? So we often start with a two-term analysis, and then we might think, well, how would this change if we did three terms? And it's very annoying then when the, the intercept and the gradient change, even if you do the three terms over the same angle range. And in practice, OVB and the AVO projection analysis says, we, we should probably think about this differently. We should always do a three-term fit because the three-term fit can be used to project down precisely to the result of the two-term fit. Well, even going down a little bit more into, into real-world implications, what, what do you, are these, you know, the real-world implications of improving this biased model? Yes, that's that's the million-dollar question, and, and that's definitely a road I, I went down to while I was uh, writing uh, the paper and looking at this. It's unavoidable when you're thinking about bias. You always want to kind of not remove the bias. It's great to understand the uncertainty, but what about reducing the uncertainty, right? I, I think the ugly truth is that there is this thing that we discussed earlier, which is the information content of the of the pre-stack data in this case, and that is that is fixed without adding more data or adding more information. That's not going to change. That's something that's inherent to the data that we've acquired. So in order to reduce bias or variance, you can trade the two against each other, which is what some of the algorithms do, or you, you need more data. 
So that really takes us into ideas which are more a sort of part of Bayesian analysis, where you, you, you do want to recognize prior information. And also there's a, there's another technique out there um, called model-based fitting using principal component analysis, which was applied to AVO by, by Kors et al., which um, also leans on these ideas. But it's, it needs more data or more information to reduce bias. You know, if a geoscientist is hearing about OVB for the first time, what other areas do you think this theory would be insightful? Good question. So I think probably wherever we use uh, simplified models, which is something that, that we do generally because the data that we've acquired at some stage isn't yet suitable to extract all the parameters that we know are really driving the wave propagation. So we simplify. And when, whenever we, we do that, uh, we cut off uh, certain terms in the modeling. So we should always ask then, well, what if that term is relevant and larger than I think what it is? How would that impact my result? And so this bias analysis allows you, you to do that. And what's also important in the, in the context of the AVO setting is, of course, we're not interested in intercepts and gradients. What we want are quantities that describe the lithology in the fluid. So the, the next step in doing that is to propagate the bias through to those quantities that we're really interested in. And they might get amplified, or they might get reduced um, in that uh, uh, in that propagation. So we need to propagate not just the the errors, the variance, but also the bias through to the quantities that we're interested in. Is there something yourself you're looking forward to explore next with this theory? I think it relates back to your to your question as to what other sources of bias are there and of course avio being the full analysis of all the data that we have all the pre-stack data has uh, a large amount of additional errors i mean, mentioned some at the start the uh, anisotropy the angles the attenuation and so on so then they're not necessarily all effects i think which fit into an omitted variable uh, analysis but they all uh, fit into an uncertainty analysis which of these effects are are really the dominant uh, dominant one. So I'd like to set it into into a larger context. It would be lovely, wouldn't it, to be able to forward model all of these errors and then to be able to rank them and and say, well, in this kind of setting, you need to be aware of um, these errors the, the, the most. I suspect, though, that if I do that, the uh, our imaging colleagues um, will have made a lot more progress on on yet more focused imaging using know, full waveform inversion and techniques like that, because it's a, mm. uh, there are a lot of effects in there. You know, lastly, if, if you could just share one piece of advice you would offer someone looking to succeed in your field, what would it be? Oh, I think I'm going to say something that a lot of other people say. Just remain, remain curious and um, go and look at uh, if, you, if you've got a particular problem in front of you, go and investigate how others um, would be looking at this. So precisely what, what helped me here was, you know, even if it was just a random walk, but eventually finding how much of that regression analysis was being looked at quite differently in, in other fields. Well, you are living that with this paper, Henning, and I appreciate you sharing your insights in the paper. And uh, thank you for, for submitting it to The Leading Edge. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to SEG's flagship podcast, Seismic Sound Off. SEG produces these episodes to benefit its members, the geophysics community, and inform the public on the value of the science. 
To show your support for the show, please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or manager that would enjoy hearing this show. Your recommendation is the single best action you can take on behalf of SEG's podcast. To receive the latest episodes first, follow Seismic Sound Off on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. The SEG podcast team is Ted Bakamjan, Kathy Gamble, and Ali McGinnis. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.